So today we're in Genesis chapters 29 and 30, and uh, I want to start with a kind of running start into it. I hope you have your Bibles. If not, would you grab those? Because I'd like you to be able to read along with us as we go through this. So in Genesis chapter 28, running up to 29, in verse 20, we read this. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. Let's pray. Father, again, we understand how great need to hear from you. And we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So Lord, as we are going through this text this morning, your word, I pray you'd speak to our hearts. I pray you give us ears to hear what the spirit is saying. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to not only hear it, but then to apply it in obedience to you and your commands. I pray you'd comfort, you'd exhort whatever is needed in our hearts this morning, that we'd hear, receive from you who loves us and gave to us your only begotten son, that we might know you and walk with you. And then Jesus, you're the one who said that you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And you are the way, the truth, and the life. And so to know you is to know eternal life and to know the freedom that we can have as, as uh, your children. So bless, I pray, your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So with God, there is no uncertainty. And that is a fantastic truth for our uncertainty. There's nothing that God doesn't know. There's nothing that God's unaware of. There's nothing that takes God by surprise. So with our faith in God, we can actually embrace and enjoy our uncertainties. And we are in a time of great uncertainty as Jacob, in running from Esau and leaving his home, went into the unknown, not knowing what was ahead of him. So I love what my pastor Chuck Smith said. He said this, Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. This guy named Vlad wrote this, quote, Your heavenly Father is as, is as near when you journey through the dark tunnel as when you journey under the open heaven. Last week, I, one of my friends once told me, don't forget in the darkness what you saw in the light. Psalm 121, Charlotte, my wife, this is a key verse for her. She shared this on Mother's Day. Psalm 121, verse 3, he will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. God's not falling asleep on the job. <laughs> Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. He's that place of refuge and relief. Isaiah chapter 41, fear not, for I am with you. And that's often said in the Bible. God tells us that. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So uncertainty, the faith of Jacob. That's our series that we're looking at. Last week, coming to a certain place, and we looked at Bethel and how Jacob and his journey came to this place where he said, surely the Lord is here and I didn't even know it. And he came aware of the presence of God. And in so doing, he realized, I'm going to give God again. My, the permission to work in my life. And that happens often along the trail, along the journey for a believer. This morning, I want to begin, I want to do this study on a certain time, staying for a certain 
time. Next, we're going to be looking at leaving at a certain time. And these are the sort of the stopovers, the ways that, that our lives go. Now, the corona pandemic has been a challenge, has it not, as far as the uncertainties and the unknown. It seems like years ago, but it was only March. It's been maybe, I don't know, eight, nine weeks or something like that. And yet, we were supposed to be able to get together in, at Easter, and then that was long, prolonged, and that was, and it keeps moving. So last week, I actually hit kind of a wall emotionally. And I just, you know, I, 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 this is what I think. I'm not sick from the virus, but I'm sick of it. <laughs> I'm sick of all the stuff. I just want to be back together. And I don't think we'll ever be, be experienced a new, we're going to have a new normal that's going on. And so bearing with these things is really found, we find great strength. We find great relief in, be, in having our faith in God who has no uncertainties. And I know God wants to do a permanent work in your life and in my life. Not something temporary, but something permanent. And the divine work that will be certain in our lives, that we will be yielded to that. So the question is, will we trust him? Will we trust God in the midst of all the uncertainty? And as we look this morning at a certain time, are we going to trust God with the time frame that we're being, in a sense, put under? So staying for a certain time has, any, it has a ton, a number of mitigating uncertainties. Now, I want to give you two main captions or headings this, this morning. Number one, character takes time. Character takes time. In fact, it's a lifetime. Secondly, change adds time. Now, change adds time. When there are changes, it just begins to mess around with the time frames that we had set. So character takes time. First of all, first thing, there are certain people in our lives that God is using to develop our character. Look, let's read in verse 29, in chapter 29. So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked and saw a well in the field. And behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth, verse 3. Now all the flocks would be gathered there, and they would, all, they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And Jacob said to them, he's just showed up. Jacob said to them, my brethren, where are you from? And they said, we are from Haran. And then he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we know him. So he said to them, is he well? And they said, he is well. And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. So Rachel and Laban are going to be two very instrumental people in Jacob's life. And they will be, they will be shaping his character. It's his wife and his father-in-law. His wife and his father. Now, the circumstances leading up to this meeting were, up to this point, were first of all, they weren't planned out. And Jacob hadn't met them before. So as believers in Jesus Christ... We know that the invisible God is at work in our lives. And he will ultimately bring about his promises to us, his plan for our lives, and his prophecies concerning what he is going to be accomplishing through Jesus Christ in the future. So we believe that. We trust him. We can sing from our heart this old song. It goes like this. I know not what awaits me, God kindly veils my eyes. And o'er every step of my onward way, 
he makes new scenes to rise. And every joy he sends me comes, a sweet and glad surprise. Second verse. When he may, where he may lead, I'll follow. My trust in him repose. And every hour in perfect peace, I'll sing, he knows, he knows. And every hour in perfect peace, I will sing, he knows, he knows. Isn't that great? In other words, his greatest work is in shaping our lives by leading us in the path of life for his name's sake. He's shaping our character, and that's the greatest work that he does. He shapes our character that we might be more like Jesus, that we, that we are being conformed to the image of Jesus, that we're experiencing godliness with contentment. It's fantastic. That's the work of God. So to do this, God has certain people in our lives that are instrumental in causing us to become more like Christ. And many times our Heavenly Father doesn't give us the choice. <laughs> Many times it's him placing into our lives people who are going to become instrumental. And it begins in the family. It begins as you're born with your mom and dad and those, those relationships. But notice verse 7. Then he said, this is Jacob, look, it is still high day. It's not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep, go and feed them. But they said, we cannot until the flocks are gathered together and they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. Now, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. So he's, these guys are all sitting around waiting, waiting, waiting. Jacob sees Rachel... And it seems like when Jacob sees her, it seems as though he's smitten immediately. And so he says, hey, I'm your man. I'm going to go roll that stone away. I'm going to take care of what you need right now. I'm going to roll that stone away for you. It's sort of like you say, it's sort of like Mr. Showoff, okay? And that's what it appears to be here. So verse 11, then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And, be, and Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and it was he and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. Now, all of Jacob, it seems to me, all of Jacob's pent-up emotions are now finding a voice. What was restrained are now poured out when he meets Rachel. He sees her. Seems like he's smitten. He finds out she's from Laban's house, his daughter. I remember one, one time in my, when I first came back to Christ in Costa Mesa, and I sat at, on a pew in Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and I was just, I was weeping. And my, the voice in my heart was, where have I been? Where have I been? And God brings us to those places where there's just this, this breaking point. There's just this pent-up stuff that's going on, and it kind of cascades out of our hearts in relief. Then it came to pass, verse 13, when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him. And embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. So he told Laban all these things, all the stories. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. So here he's introduced to this guy named Laban, his uncle Laban, his, who would become his father-in-law. And so Laban runs to meet him. 
He embraces him. He kisses him. He brings him in. But know, know this. This is not what, this would not last. Even, I'm not even sure it was sincere on Laban's part. But by the time that Jacob leaves, some 20 years later, there will be no love lost between them. These, this is character time. So a month would turn out to be 20 years, really under the thumb of this man Laban. Genesis 31, 41 says this. Thus I have been in your house, Jacob. I've been in your house 20 years. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. And you have, char you have changed my wages 10 times. Now, we'll get this next week. But this wages, we'll see this in our passage this morning also. This wages thing becomes another huge character shaper in the life of Jacob. So these were very important formative years in God working in Jacob's life character. He's 75 right now, but he's got another 105 years to go. He's not even at the midway point. During these years, a lifetime, and know this, that God's work in our lives the people in our lives is a lifetime work that God's doing in shaping our character as loving people who understand godliness and understand goodness and understand grace and understand mercy. Now, D.L. Moody said this about Moses. Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody, 40 years learning he was nobody, and 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. I like that. That's Moses' life. That's it right there. 40, 40, 40. So character takes time. There are certain people, in this case, Rachel and Laban. Let's go to verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate. She had kind eyes. But Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now, Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And this is one of the most beautiful verses in all literature. And they seemed only a, they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. You know Time will challenge any notion that they lived happily ever after. Stars and butterflies are, are no indicator or defining character or defining love. Remember the old song, I'm, I'm dating you, hooked on a feeling? It says there, I'm hooked on a feeling, I'm high on believing that you're in love with me. And he's just, ooga chaka, ooga chaka. Remember that song? When it comes to the character of God's love, Formed in your life and my life? Let me say this. You've got to be, you, be, you better be hooked on much more than a feeling. Much more. People, I love what, what Pastor Matt Chandler said, quote, People don't like love. They like the flitty, flirty feeling. They don't love love. Love is sacrificial. Love is ferocious. It's not emotive. Our culture doesn't love love. It loves the idea of love. It wants emotion without paying anything for it. So love suffers long and is kind, 1 Corinthians 13. Now, that's not a feeling. That's a decision 
to love. And non and on goes 1 Corinthians 13. Let's go to verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her, consummate the marriage. And Laban gathered together all the men of the, of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah his daughter and brought her to Jacob, not Rachel, Leah, and he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. And so it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, Jacob, what is this that you've done to me? <laughs> was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? So we can only imagine the expression on Jacob's faith, uh, on his face. I think it's flashback time because it would call to mind what he had done himself to his brother. So here we have this, this sowing and reaping, if you will, that happens that we begin to learn that what happens to us is some of the things we've done to others. And it begins to change who we are. He had been deceived. He was the deceiver, big time. So Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service, which you have, will serve me still another seven years. So we can assume that Jacob is now possibly flashing back because he also stole the birthright. He also deceived his father blatantly. He is guilty of the same kinds of things. So Laban is incredibly cunning and deceptive, as we'll see, but so was Jacob. So staying for a certain time has a number of, of unmitigating un, uh, uncertainty, mitigating uncertainties. So number one, certain people. Secondly, there are certain commitments that God is using to shape character, and it takes time. So Jacob, verse 28, it says, Jacob did so, fulfilled her week, so he gave him his daughter Rachel as wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban still another seven years. Jacob, it says, did so. A quality of Jacob that is easy to miss. Jacob was a man of his word. He kept his word. Yes, he was a conniver. Yes, he was a deceiver. Yes, he got mad, but he kept his word. And Matthew, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be. No, it's a tremendous uh, character trait to do what we say we'll do, to let our yes be yes and our no be no. So commitments are to be kept. And a gauge of character is just that. Are you good for your word? Do you keep the things that you vow to keep? Do you keep your promises? You see, commitments prove character. Commitments improve character when they're humbly kept. But commitments also reprove character when they are not kept. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Commitments will transform character. Listen, commitments will transfer character when I'm humbled in, being, in not keeping them, but then go again in repentance to do the things that I said I would do. Tremendous character builders. Now, I want to look at Psalm 15 a moment because I think this is a fantastic psalm. In fact, I think these 12 things that we're going to see here are something to review every morning. Here is character wrapped up in poetry. Verse 1, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? 
who may dwell in your holy hill. He who walks uprightly, character, works righteousness, that's character, and speaks the truth in his heart, that's character. He who does not backbite with his tongue, that's character. Nor does evil to his neighbor, that's character. Nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, that's character. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, that's character. But he honors those who fear the Lord, that's character. He, here's one that would apply right here. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Jacob said seven years, he kept his word for the next seven years. He who does not put out his money to use you, not taking advantage of people, that's character. Nor does he take a bribe against the innocent, that's character. He who does these things shall never be moved. That is godly character. And it begins by saying, who may abide in your tabernacle? You see, our relationship with God is what begins to shape godly character. So character takes time. Certain people, certain commitments, but then Finally, and I think you'll all as families resonate with this, certainly children. Certainly children. Children will change if we allow them our whole perspective of character. Children are like a mirror. They're like a reflection by which we adults see our true selves. Children are like mentors, reminders as to us as adults that we still have a lot of room to grow. Now, that's amazing to me. But Jesus put it this way. The disciples came to Jesus saying, this is in Matthew 18, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And children certainly shape our character. Children's characters are also shaped by us. So he says, verse, 20, verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Now, who opens the womb? Who closes the womb? It's God. And we don't understand these things. On, on Mother's Day, one thing on, my, on Charlotte's heart, in fact, the first thing on her heart was that the natural desire for a woman to have children and can't is a burden. It's difficult. It's painful. Godly character learns to trust God with the deepest heartaches, but it takes time. It takes time, my friends. And so our heartaches that we work through, God is working through them. Godly character. He's deepening us in our relationship with him. We begin to learn to trust him even with the deepest and most painful things in our lives. Godly character learns these things. Begins to learn the depths of the grace and mercy of God. And so Leah just wants to be loved by her husband. She wants to know his affection. She longs for it. So notice, Leah conceived and bore a son, verse 32, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. And as we look at these first four children of Jacob through Leah, her whole heart is aching for the attention and the affection of her husband. And that is all, that's, that is correct. It's right. And so the question rises, so husbands, 
It's character time. Loving our wives as Christ loved the church. So Leah's heart is changed. It's interesting. As one son after another is born, it seems the Lord is working in her heart this, this understanding that he can comfort her. He can be her strength. So Reuben, the, he, she names him, the Lord has looked on my affliction. Simeon, she calls, that means hearing. The Lord has heard I am unloved. Levi, the third son, means attached. And she says, now my husband will come attached to me. She's longing for that. Yes, she's having children, but the, the desire she has towards her husband. And then Judah, interesting. Judah, she names praise and says, now I will praise the Lord. Leah came to find, I believe, begins to find her fulfillment in her relationship with the Lord. I will praise the Lord. No. Leah naturally still longed for the attention of her husband. That's not changing that. Her, the tenth son of Jacob, born to Leah, name is Zebulun. And there she says, now my husband will dwell with me. She's just looking for time with him. So, again, husbands, it's character time. Now, godly character knows true fulfillment in your relationship with God. Godly character is the freedom of not looking to your, for your identity in your children, but in the Lord. Godly character frees your children because you're no longer living your life vicariously through them. But rather you're allowing them to also themselves flourish in their relationship with God. And here's, here it is. Godly character simply takes time. It takes time. So, the children of Jacob continues. Verse 1 of chapter 30. Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children. Rachel envied her sister, said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. Jacob's anger, so again, this, this isn't, they live happily ever There were the same tensions going on in their relationship. And here it is often as it is children. So Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Now the question in this is, who can ever predict the direction a relationship will go? What's going to happen? Only time will tell. And as God is working through all these difficulties as a husband and wife in a family situation, he's bringing through time. He wants to bring that along in godly character, in depth of relationship. Would Rachel's barrenness spoil her character? That's the question. These two sisters wind up having a contentious relationship. So she said, verse 3, here is my maid Bilhah. So now we have these whole, this whole thing going on between Rachel and Leah and their two handmaids, Bil Bilhah and Zilpah. Now, each new child, as is born, brings into a family their own unique and special meaning. That's what happens when children are born into a family. It brings their own special addition to the whole family dynamic. And that is where character is, is shaped. And the more children you have, the more opportunity to become less selfish, <laughs> as many of us know. So we have here Rachel. Uh, Rachel has children by Bilhah, Dan, Naphtali. Children of, by, of Leah by Zilpah. Gad is born and Asher is born. I love what Psalm 127 says. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. 
And I say, happy is the man who is full of quiver because of them. <laughs> There's something joyous about having children, and you wouldn't trade them for the world. But they certainly are God's instruments in shaping character. So now in verse 14 of chapter 30. Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother. Verse 14, Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. And so when Jabe comes out of the world, this whole, out, of the, out of the fields, this takes place. Now, mandrakes, a root that was thought to be an aphrodisiac. It's to stimulate sexual desire. In fact, Song of Solomon says the mandrake gives off a fragrance. So it, whether it's superstition, we don't know, but it, did it make someone more fertile, a woman more fertile? Now, we don't see Jacob complaining about any of this, but he goes in, and Leah then has children. Issachar, that's number nine. Jacob's number ninth son. Zebulun, his tenth son. And then Dinah, his only daughter, at least that we're told. They, and Dinah, by the way, is going to figure into this character thing shortly. Verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb, and she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. Finally. Finally. And Joseph means he will add. Interesting. I find this very interesting. I find it fascinating. He will add. In other words, there's one more to come. And his name would be Benjamin in chapter 35. He would come. And when he came, one more. That's when Rachel died at his birth. And she, as she's dying, says, I'm going to call him son of my sorrow. But then the father named him son of my right hand. And I believe this is a picture of Jesus Christ for us. He's the last to come, but he leads. He's the son of my sorrow in his first coming. He's the son of my right hand, seated and exalted at his second coming. So at this time, Benjamin had not yet been born. There is a son yet to come. And there's a son yet to come a second time. So as you look at these birth orders, you'll find many different ones in the Bible. They're listed differently, and that's a fascinating, fun study also. You'll find in Exodus and Numbers and Ezekiel and Revelation. As we look, you can look at those. I'll leave that for a work assignment for you. Now, change, character takes time. And so the whole thing is staying for a certain time. Character takes time. Wherever we are, that's what God is working on. But also, change adds time. Change changes time or our timing. And so here we have a desire to leave. And it came to pass, verse 25, when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me go for you know my service which I have done for you. Now I have found that when there's changes coming as far as leaving a certain place, that God begins with a thought, begins with a contact, and then he begins to work in my heart. He moves my heart before he actually moves me. Much had come to pass in 14 years. Birth of 11 sons and a daughter. Jacob has a desire now to be sent away by Laban. Jacob's labored for his wife and his children, but he had no flocks or herds that were his. He wants to separate now and build his own house, build his own in his own country, which is good. It seems Jacob is doing this 
with a somewhat of a, of a measure of respect to Laban. But I would, I would say that's not the case. Now, after 14 years, he knows who he's up against in his uncle Laban. He is a devious, deceitful man, Laban. Jacob specifically calls them my wives and my children. When Jacob finally does leave, we'll get this next week, he knows he has to sneak away. Or he would be sent away by Laban without his wives, without his children, and without anything. That's what Laban would have done. We'll see this also next week. But look at verse 43 of chapter 31. It's up here on the screen. Laban answered and said to Jacob, remember, he's trying to get away now. And he's got away, and now he's confronting with Laban. Laban answered to Jacob, these daughters are my daughters. And these children are my children. And this flock is my flock. All that you see are my, is mine. But what can I do this day to these my daughters or to their children whom they have born? So Laban has been told by God, don't you touch him before he ever got to track down his son-in-law, Jacob. So he is a self-centered scoundrel. Had not God warned him, he would be happy to have sent Jacob away without anything. That's what kind of man Laban is. It's no wonder his own daughters disowned him, as we'll see next week. So change adds time. There's this desire to leave, but then there's this request from Laban to stay. So things are changing. And Laban said to him, please stay. Now that might sound polite, but it's really, he's flattering him to get his own way. If I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Then he said, name me your wages and I will give it to you. So Jacob's not falling for this flattery. He's not falling for this pleasure thing. He knows with whom he's dealing. So this request requires wisdom. It requires character. It, re it necessitates adding time for Jacob to think about it. And how would he answer this? He's been given that time over the last 14 years. He's gotten to know Laban. And so here's this opening for him. Good judgment comes from experience. And experience from bad judgment. <laughs> That's how we learn the wisdom of the ages. So wages, nine times we're finding this. We'll get to this next week. Now, now there's not a request to say, but now there's a reason to stay longer. And it's simply this, to provide. To provide. So Jacob said to him, you know how I have served you and how your livestock has been with me. And what you had before I came was little and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now, when shall I also provide for my own house? So he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. He's not looking for a hand. He's not going to get into this entanglement with Laban again. If you will do this thing for me, I will again feed your flocks. So let me pass through all your flocks today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and these will be my wages. So my righteousness will be answered for me in time to come when the subject of my wages comes before you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. So Jacob's deal is sure to, he's making sure there's going to be no more trickery as far as Laban is concerned. Now in this proposal, in this plan, it appears that Jacob would have little to gain. 
he would receive as wages for his work the black and multicolored goats, the rarer kind, and speckled and spotted sheep which would be born. And so Jacob was taking a tremendous risk here, and that's going to even be, be compounded, as we'll see in a minute. So Laban said, oh, that are according to your word. In other words, Laban's saying, such a deal. He's saying, hey, yeah, I'm all in. He, and he wants to move quickly to close the deal. He feels like he has got Jacob over a barrel. So obviously, the deal appears to be stacked in his favor, and Laban's all over that. So verse 35. So he, now notice this. This is just crazy. So he moved that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted, now, Jacob said, I'm going to go through your flocks, and I'm going to take those out. Laban removes them, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had some white in it, and all the brown ones among the lambs. And notice what he does. He gave them into the hands of his sons, his family. Then he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. Now Laban adds to this risk, multiplies, compounds it. He removes all the abnormally colored ones. He gives them to his sons. This guy is bad news. This guy is a scoundrel. If ever I've read of a scoundrel, he stacks it even more. I would call it speckled and spotted distancing. We have social distancing here. We have speckled and spotted, but not six feet. This is a three days traveling journey. He's separating them all the way. So, so they're not going to wander back to Jacob. Now, this guy's a piece of work, and Jacob has been living with him for 14 years. May I say this? God has been shaping Jacob's character like crazy. He's understood some things. He's beginning to deal wisely with this man, and I don't believe Laban was changed much at all. So as you would expect, Jacob has a plan. When he's saying, hey, this is what I want to do, and then Laban removes all of those. He has, he has, he's learned some things over 14 years. He's going to implement it now. And so the final verses in this chapter of Jacob's life are really a mystery to me and many others also. Notice, Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and of the almond and chestnut trees, peeled white strips in them, and exposed the white which, he, which was in the rods. And the rods which he had peeled, he set before the flocks in the gutters, in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink, so that they should conceive. Now, that word conceive means hot, possibly. So when they came into heat, when they came to drink, so the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. So somehow these striped rods would cause them to go into heat. The sheep and goats looking at these rods, in some way, there was something that Jacob understood, and he put into practice. Now, could it be that Jacob was studied, maybe even longer, but at least for 14 years in how the conceiving, the conception and development happened? There's a thing called the Mendelian, Mendelian Law. It says it's about the dominant and recessive genes. So from two white goats, you could get a speckled goat, and Jacob probably seen that. This hybrid when they breed. Now notice, verse 40. Then Jacob separated the lands, and made the flocks face toward the street and all the brown in the flock of Laban. But he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flock. And it came to pass whenever the stronger livestock conceived that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. 
So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger. In other words, Jacob's, he's winning this time. He was prepared. He had an added time that was put there in this change, in this request, in this reason to change, to provide for his family, to build his own, his own possessions in flocks. And so he's putting it to work. Now, I find it interesting that Jacob was by nature a mild man dwelling in tents. But don't take away from his intensity. His brother Esau was naturally a skillful hunter, a man of the field. We find that in Genesis chapter 25. Jacob had, in that 14 plus years, I believe, being under the thumb of Uncle Laban, had taken, he didn't waste his time in developing his God-given talents. He didn't waste his time in, in things that didn't matter, but rather he's looking at his job, he's learning from his job, he's in a very difficult situation with Laban, but he's not let, allowing that to get in the way of him developing in his, skillful, in his skills, in his talents. And so, are you making time, in closing, are you making time to develop your God-given mind, interests, and talents? You see, it takes time. And many times there's added time that we have. We have that very much right now during this closing, closing these, these uh, things that were, were closed our country even. We have added time now. Are you taking advantage of that to develop the things that are interest to you? The things that you go through your mind? The things of your talents? Are you making time then to put them to use for God? I think of Bezalel and Ahoyla. Look at Exodus chapter 36. And Bezalel and Ahoyla, yeah? I don't know how you say that name. And every gifted artisan in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding. This is for building the tabernacle. To know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary shall do according to all the Lord has commanded. Then Moses called these two men and every gifted artisan in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work. Friends, God created you with natural abilities. He's given to you latent talents. He's given into you desires and things on your mind. And they are to be enjoyed. But they can only be enjoyed to the fullest when they're developed. When the time is given to them. When there's a lot of time and hard work put into them to learn and understand. And the things that are interesting to us are God, things God's put in our hearts. And so we're drawn to develop these things. And I hope you understand, God's not looking to ruin your party. He's looking to develop you in your character by developing your talents so that he can then take your life and use it for his glory. He can woo others to himself through you. Maybe it's a music talent. Maybe it's a building talent. Maybe it's something that you've learned that you can put to use for God. The testimony is incredible of what God can do when we're at a place for a certain time. Verse 43, thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male goats, and camels and donkeys. It turns out that Jacob's risks proved very, very successful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for these, these truths, so many that we can draw on from your word. We thank you for these, these stories that you've given to us, historical people who went through the same kinds of things that we do, and they knew you in ways others didn't. And we realize there's a gamut that you've given to us in the Bible to help us understand that it's your job in our lives to shape us to be more like you. 
that you're the one who's working in us to will and do what pleases you. That you desire us to know you, grow in godliness and contentment, and to know the peace and joy that comes from knowing you, to walk with you, to see what you can do, to see what you want to do, and to see you do it. So we love you, Lord. We bless your name. And Lord, I want to ask if there's anyone watching, if that's you today, and you're watching, you don't know this fabulous relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you that you think through what's going on in your life and ask yourself, is there something missing? If you really are honest with yourself, you'll realize there's someone missing, and that's God. And he wants to take your life and lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake and bless you like you never would have ever understood. He created you to know and live in the freedom of the truth that he has given to us, that he loves you, died for you, and wants you to know him. So may the Lord bless you. May he keep you this week. May you be, again, understanding that there's a certain time right now that we're in where God is wanting to shape us just like he does in any place in any other time. He wants to shape us to know him in, in knowing him to then be used by him for great things. So God bless you. Walk, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.